and welcome to Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. We would love to have you join us for worship today. Our Bible studies begin at 9 a.m. for all ages, followed by a service at 10.30 a.m., and then our evening discipleship service at 6.30 p.m. We are located at 14260 South Dixie Highway in Monroe, Michigan. Our phone number is 734-241-6860. You can also find more on our website, www.mmbconline.org. Here is a message from our senior pastor, Tim Icoangeli. As we enter into Galatians, I want to say a statement that you're not going to be shocked to hear from a, from a pulpit. At least I hope you're not shocked to hear it. The statement is simply, what the world needs is the gospel. What, what our world needs is the gospel. Now, the problem with that statement is it must be defined. When somebody says that, you need to know what they are saying and what they mean, because there's actually some words in there, as I've looked at that sentence more, uh, I think more than just one word would really need to be defined. What do you mean by world? What do you mean by needs? What does that mean? I mean, when I say needs, I mean if you don't have the gospel, you have nothing. You have nothing. Your one main need in this life is the gospel. By the world, what I mean is everybody. Every person, everywhere, ever living needs the gospel. But then the most important definition of that sentence would be gospel. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we define that? And as we go through Galatians, that is what we will be doing is we're gonna see that Paul is defining the word gospel and what the word gospel means. As just a little intro into Galatians, I think it's important for us to know that Paul is the one who wrote this book. He wrote this to uh, the churches of Galatia. You'll see him say that. And so on his first or second missionary journey as he went through Galatia and started churches in there, these are the churches that he is writing to. It's a book that was written very early, probably one of the earlier books that we have. But there, there was a problem within the church that needed to be addressed by Paul, and it was a big problem. It was the fact that people were coming behind Paul as he would plant these churches, and they were teaching a false gospel to the churches, and these churches that he loved, that he had started with other faithful men, were now abandoning the gospel. They were abandoning the gospel message that Paul had given to them. And so he was writing to them to try to fix this. Now, the problem that was happening within these churches was Judaizers were coming behind them and were beginning to teach that, yes, Jesus is Messiah, but in order to really be a Christian, in order to really be a believer in Jesus, Jesus was a Jewish man and you need to be Jewish as well. And so in order to do that, you, you need to be circumcised. And there are some things uh, in Moses's law that you must follow. And that's what they were teaching very subtle, something very simple, just saying, yeah, if you really want to follow what Paul is saying, then this is, this is what you must do. You, you must be circumcised. That was really the, the main thing. And there are some other things that you must do. You see, false teachers were coming in and distorting the truth. They were teaching additions to the gospel. And this is so easy to happen. I mean, we really see this take place in a lot of different areas, and it's something that is very simple to happen. I read this quote for you before because it was about a year ago I preached from this passage uh, 
standing right here. <clears throat> but Ray Ortland Jr. says this when talking about what churches look like when they start to skew the gospel, when they start to add the gospel or start to tweak the gospel just a little bit. It says that churches begin to look like a passionate devotion to pro-life cause or a confident manipulation of modern managerial techniques, a drive toward church growth, a deep concern for the institution of family, a clever appeal to consumerism by offering a sort of cost-free Christianity light, a sympathetic, empathetic, thickly honed cultivation of interpersonal relationships, a determination to take America back to its Christian roots through political power, or maybe a warm affirmation of self-esteem. You see, when you read these things, they're not bad things. They're things that we would say, well, yeah, why wouldn't you blip? But slowly, your church's mission becomes that instead of the gospel. They're, they're things that go along with the gospel. When you believe the gospel, I believe then, yeah, pro-life is vitally important. But if that's the mission of your church, then you're not a church. You're just a social group. You're activists. And so we have to be important that we are not abandoning the gospel or twisting the gospel. And Paul wanted to make sure that these churches were not doing that. And so Paul has a twofold message in Galatians that we're gonna notice. The first part of Galatians is Paul trying to stand up for himself. Because the, the, the false teachers that were coming behind were kind of beginning to question Paul to the people that at one time had really loved Paul. Saying, is he really an apostle? Was he really with Jesus all the time? Because one of the things you had to have done in order to be an apostle was to see Jesus, to be a part of him. So they were saying, did this really happen to Paul? Can we really trust everything that Paul is saying? And so he, he, he shows them that they can trust his apostleship in the first part of Galatians. And then the second part is the truth of the gospel. And as we look at Galatians, there are two verses that are key. And I wanna read them for you. In Galatians 2.16, it says, <clears throat> yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's one of the key verses in Galatians. And then also Galatians 5.1, it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We see here grace given through Jesus, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. And that alone is the gospel message. That alone. You cannot add anything to it, and you cannot take anything away from it. So I want to do my best this morning to get from verse one to verse 10. So let's read that together. Galatians one, verse one through 10. Listen with me as I read. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. When we look at the first two verses of this passage that I read in Galatians chapter one, verse one and two, we see that Paul really just jumps right in. So often Paul would give a nice little greeting and, and say some good things that the church is doing. Even, even if you read Corinthians, like, like first and second Corinthians, the Corinthians church is known for their debauchery and how bad they were. But if, even, if you read Corinthians, he says some good things they're doing encourages encourages them. But when we look at Galatians, Paul just dives right in. He doesn't wait at all. No no little pleasantries, you know, no, like we do today, dear so-and-so, it's good to be able to write to you today. You know, I'm glad of our friendship, and then you go into what you really wanted to talk about, but you owe me money or whatever the case might be, right? We don't just dive into that. But what Paul is dealing with here in Galatians is so extremely serious that he's saying, forget the pleasantries. What are you guys doing? Right? What are you guys doing? I mean, he dives right in. And so in verse one and two, he he jumps right in reminding them of his calling, reminding them saying, Paul, an apostle. Oh, not for men, not through men, which some of you are saying. He's reminding them of his conversion that you can see in Acts chapter nine on the road to Damascus as, as Jesus Christ himself would come and, and blind Paul and knock Paul down and, and save Paul's life. Pour out his grace on Paul. Give Paul the gospel that Paul would then go around and, and be sharing with the world around him. Paul's, Paul jumps right in and says, remember, I am an apostle. Remember, God has called me no man No man has called me into this. And then he says, I'm not alone, right? Verse two, and all the brethren who are with me. So Paul's trying to say, listen, I'm not some lone wolf out there wandering around with some weird message that you guys believed and now they've came in and fixed it. No, you know I'm not alone in this. There's there's other men with me, other faithful men with me. There's faithful men there where you are who, who believe the words that I say, who know that they are true. This is not some strange story but it's a message from, from Jesus. And Paul goes right in and he reminds them of the gospel message in the center of the message. Look again at verse one. Paul, an apostle, again, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Again, no holding back. No holding back. But what is interesting here is that Paul jumps to the resurrection, not the crucifixion. Paul didn't go to the cross to deal with the issue that is needing to be dealt with. Instead, the first place he goes to is the resurrection. And I think we need to ask the question, why does Paul go to the resurrection before he goes to the cross? And I think the reason he does that is because it's important for us to remember and it's important for us to know that we serve a risen Savior, not a dead Savior. We serve a God that is alive and that is of utmost importance to our faith. That is of utmost importance of who we are and of what we believe. One of the books that I was reading this week 
past couple of weeks, just preparing for this message, uh, Pastor Josh Moody wrote this. He says, we don't worship a dead hero. We worship a living Lord. Jesus rules the church and he rules by his word. Prayer makes a difference. Private repentance is the bit of yeast that makes a difference to the whole batch of dough. So is the private sin. This is a spiritual reality. We are not playing at church. Heaven and hell stand on the brink. Eternal decisions are being made in the secrets of all of our hearts. And I want you to know that Jesus is alive. He has the power to rescue you. He breaks you that he might remake you. He has put you here reading this for that very purpose, that your life may be turned around. The church is not a tomb for a dead Lord. It is a vehicle for a living Savior vibrating with his Holy Spirit. We stand on the fact that Jesus is alive, that he is alive. And so Paul wants the church to know that. We don't, we're not a tomb where somebody is buried. No, we are a vehicle of the living Savior to go about doing his work, about, go about serving him and worshiping him and praising him. And so we see that the resurrection story sets us apart from every other religion, from every other religion out there. And it must be front and center in everything we do. In everything we do. As we get to verses three and five, Paul dives in and he's saying, you need to trust the message. Don't only trust the messenger, but trust the message that I shared with you. And again, this isn't an accidental opening. Verse three, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this isn't, again, this isn't just a nice way for him to say things. He is teaching them what the gospel is. He is already beginning to combat what the Judaizers were coming in and teaching. Because Paul knows that the only way in life to have peace is through the grace of God. That's it. Grace, and when you get grace, then peace comes after. See, sadly, we spend most of our life even within the church, singing songs about grace, saying that we've been given grace, but yet it seems like in our life, all we do is strive for peace. When the Bible tells us that when we receive grace, we receive peace, there's a mix up somewhere. And the problem is we in our own life feel that tendency to add to the gospel message. Yes, God, I know you've given me grace, but I think I would just be happier if I was married. I just think I'd be happier if I had kids. God, you know what would make me really happy? If my kids were Christians. You know what would really make me happy? If my kids were good kids. You know what would really make me happy? Is if I got this promotion. God, you know, and we just keep saying these things, all of which, nothing bad in those things. But we start adding to what makes us whole. We start adding to what makes us complete. And it steals our peace. And Paul is saying, grace and peace to you. This isn't something you can attain. This is only something that you can be given. And so then he dives into our sin issue. Verse four, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. You see, Paul again is addressing the church and he's letting them know, listen, there's an issue here and it's sin. Sin is the issue in our life and sin must be dealt with in order to be a child of God. You cannot skirt around this issue. The Bible tells us for the wages of sin is death. That's a big deal. So often you might encounter people who have a great deal to say about the Old Testament. 
in the, in the God of the Old Testament? How, how can the God of the Old Testament be so mean and so cruel, you know, just, just leveling out cities or doing these different things? And they're just appalled by that. You know, the answer to that is very simple. Sin is a big deal. The appalling thing is that God lets us be here. The appalling thing is that a perfect, holy, mighty God, for some reason, would let us walk this earth in our sin. That's appalling. That is what should take us back. In fact, when we look at the Old Testament and we see God's justice and we see God's wrath in certain instances, we should look at it and say, God, why, why didn't you do that now? God, why didn't you do that to me? And that's what should make us fall on our knees as we understand grace. You see, sin is a big deal. And it's something so big that it needs to be dealt with. And what Paul addresses here in verse four is he says, you can't do it on your own. No, grace to you and peace from God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. I'm so thankful that it says that, that he gave himself for our sins. It doesn't say, you know, grace and peace from God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave you an opportunity to be forgiven of your sins, who, who gave you a chance if you would do this. No, it says he has done it for us. He has done it for us. So there's nothing else that I can do. There's no mountaintop that I must get to in order to obtain this. No, Jesus gave himself so that we might go free. And this was the will of the Father, this is the gift of grace. This is what grace is. This is the gospel message of hope and the message of peace. And, it, and it's so hard because at times I want to really convince people and I, I wish I had a step one, two, three, and four to tell them. Oh, you know, you're broken because your, your loved one passed away. I know the answer for you to have hope and peace. It's in the grace of God. And I say that and I speak that, but, but they think, but what must I do, right? How, how can I obtain that? Pastor, should I just pray more? Should I, should I just read more books? Well, I mean, what, what needs to happen? Do I need to pull back and gather myself together? No, you'll never pull yourself together. You are the mess. The mess doesn't fix itself. Has a mom in here ever said that before at a house? The mess does not fix itself. God fixes the mess. And we have to trust in it. Even this week, I get a phone call from a lady. She will not tell me her name. And she's instantly asking me questions about, do you think someone can go to heaven if they kill themselves? Uh, that's an interesting question when I'm just sitting in my office all of a sudden on the phone. Okay, so we, we talk through that. I'm, saying, I'm not saying this for myself. I'm saying this for, uh, I had a family member who did that. Okay, and as we, as we talk and talk a little bit more, what I find out is she lied to me. No, she was thinking about that. She was thinking about that. And she was hurting in her life. And she's just pleading, if God loves me, why won't he let my family be restored? If God loves me, then why do I feel this way? Why do I have pain? And why do I hurt? And all these different things. And she was just grasping, what can I do to obtain peace? What can I do to ob obtain this hope in my life? And man, I would have loved to be able to just say some anecdotal things to her and do these things and you'll feel better. But I didn't have it. I didn't have it. All I kept reiterating to her was, you, you keep telling me you have faith in God, 
then trust his word. Trust that God loves you despite all these circumstances. Trust that he cares for you. Trust that he's given you hope. Trust that only he can give you peace. And then we talked about some things that were outside of her life. I said, are you a part of a church? She said, no, I just like to read at home. So, well, that's one of your big problems. We can't do this on our own. God saves us and he wants us to be a part of a church body, to encourage one another, to support one another. And I said, I, I hope you'll come to our church. I, she might be here today for all I know. But see, I, I don't have step one, two, three, and four because it doesn't exist. It's grace and hope is only found in, in Jesus. That's it. Peace is found there. We don't earn it. We're given it. And then it says, he delivers us from this present evil age. We're not held down anymore by Satan's ploys and Satan's schemes as Christians, as people who've been poured out on. The grace of God is given to us. God, we are not held down by the things of this world. And we see this in Galatians chapter five, verse 16 to 18. If we just jump ahead, it says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law because of the power of the gospel, because of the grace that God pours out in our life, because the promise of the Holy Spirit that he gives us. We are now able to overcome things in our life. We're able to overcome sin. We're able to overcome doubt at times. We're able to overcome these difficult circumstances, these difficult situations. Now, listen, I'm not saying you're going to break through them and now become rich if you're difficult, difficult circumstances, you don't have a lot of money. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is you can have that heart that Paul had that said, no matter what my situation, hungry or full, rich or poor, Satisfied or unsatisfied, I still give glory to God in the gospel. I'm still where I need to be. I still have peace. I still have hope. I still have joy. I still know that God is king. That's what the gospel does for us. As we get to verse six and seven is when we start to see the tragedy that's happening in this church says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which there is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. We've already talked about this a little bit, but just the easiness of twisting the gospel is something that we need to be aware of. And I wanna reiterate this over and over and over again. If you add one iota to the gospel message, you ruin the gospel message. You take the gospel message away completely. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We gotta have that equation correct. We have to understand that. We, we have to know that. It's important that we live in that because again, we are people who like lists. We are people who like rules. We want to have these things because then we know we've achieved what we're supposed to achieve. And we see this all over the place. Go ahead and take some time and dive into any other religion. Go ahead. Look at the religion of Mormons, Jehovah's Witness. Go ahead and look at the Roman Catholic Church, additions to the gospel. 
They add to the gospel. They add works to the gospel. Oh, they talk about Jesus and they'll talk about God's grace and they'll talk about his death, burial and resurrection and they'll talk about believing in that. But then they will also say, but you must observe the Eucharist. But you must be baptized in order to be saved. But this must take place. You must go door to door. You must work. You must do this. You must do that. And the problem with that, as I've already said, is when you add to the gospel, you've ruined the gospel. It's gone. It's not there anymore. It's a false faith. Listen, the Judaizers were coming in and they were not teaching anything crazy. They were teaching what the Old Testament had taught. Be circumcised. And now you're a part of our family and now you can really be a Christian. Nothing too outlandish. Oh, you might say, oh, that kind of makes sense. Be like saying this to somebody. Oh, you've been saved by the grace of God? Well, we'll see. If you keep the 10 commandments, you're a Christian. No, you just added to the gospel message. You just added to the gospel message. You say, well, then where are works? Well, when we're really saved, we strive to do those works. We want to do those works. We also see this with the prosperity gospel that's being planted everywhere nowadays, adding to the gospel, telling people if their faith was just a little bit more, they could be healed. If they would just give a little bit more, this will happen. The problem with that is we don't give anything. You have nothing to give. You are a dead sinner, just as I am. I have nothing to give in my life to save my soul because Christ has given it all for me already. And I have his righteousness. He's bestowed upon me because of his grace. You see, all of this is a difficult thing, I think, for us to understand, again, because of just how we are. But this is why I think it's so important. I know this is a dirty word to some Christians, and it's very sad that this is a dirty word, but this is why we need to understand theology. We need to understand God's word. We need to have a grasp on what it teaches so that we can even be safe because it's so easy to be swayed. It's so easy to just see these little twists. And, it, and I, it's one of the things that breaks my heart the most. I, I'll talk with people and I'll say, hey, where, where did you get that from? The, oh, this little book that I read. Oh, who wrote it? And they tell me the name and I'm like, burn that book. You should not be reading that book. How can you think for a second that is a good book? Well, man, it's just helping me in my life, they say. No, it's not. In fact, it's probably damning you. It's hurting you so bad. But it's because there's no real true grasp of what the Bible teaches and what the gospel is. And it's so important for us to know because the biggest attacks for the church comes from within these walls, not outside of it. The most dangerous people in the world, according to Philip Ryken, are the teachers, are the ones who preach a different Christ, but still call him Jesus. And that happens all the time from pulpits all around America all around the world. They will say, Jesus, 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 but they're teaching a very different Jesus than what the Bible portrays. And so we don't live in a world anymore where we can turn on the TV and we see, oh, he just read a verse and oh, he's saying Jesus a lot. Therefore, I can trust what he's saying. In fact, if he's on TV, I don't know if I would trust him at all. I'll be honest with you. But we have to be careful one of the things that was happening as I read commentaries on this passage and all the commentaries kind of agreed on this was that these Judaizers, these false teachers that were coming in had to have had some charisma, that they had to be good leaders 
Because, uh, you know, some other message doesn't just come in from just ordinary means. No, oftentimes it's, it's a charismatic person. It's somebody that people want to follow. It's, it's somebody that people want to lead after. And, and I really think that we have to be careful with that. And I wanna urge you to be careful with that in your life of following people just because of their personality. Following people just because it seems easy to follow them. This church was doing that. And I see that in churches today. I see churches who want a pastor who have a lot of pizzazz, who have a lot of showy skills, who when they enter the room, they're the center of attention. That people just sort of gravitate to them and they, they, they don't mind it. They, they kind of want to be seen. I, I run in circles with a lot of pastors and a, a lot of pastors that I see are those people. And I, I think that's troublesome. I'm just being honest with you. I think that's very troublesome. And you might say, well, why do you think that's troublesome? Well, I go to a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. And when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, I got God talking about the types of people that he uses. I don't see anybody who, who is showy. I don't see anybody who is electric. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't think I'm saying, because I'm not saying this, that God doesn't use people who are electric that God can't use people who have big personalities. I'm not saying that at all. I've seen God use people like that greatly. But most of the time, when I've met people with big personalities whose God is really using, they're also very humble when you get to meet them, when you get to know them. Just extremely humble people. But look what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, look at how he describes, how God describes the people that he's going to use. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. When we read about these people that God uses in scripture, none of them are people we would choose. None of them. Moses blubbering all the time, complaining all the time. Gideon, the least, smallest, weakest of them all. Paul had nothing special about him whatsoever. He was smart. When you even read about Jesus, our Lord, there was nothing that would attract people to Jesus by his looks, by his stature. Common man, just a common man. I dare say if Jesus himself walked in this room right now, we wouldn't bat an eye. We wouldn't bat an eye. Probably say he was dirty if we really wanted to be honest with it. But these are the people that God uses. These are the people that God chooses. It's, it's not the best looking. It's not the wisest. But yet it tells us in Corinthians, no. It's those who the world thought were dumb, God used them to dumbfound the world. I hope that brings courage to some of you today. I know it helps me when I read a passage like that, knowing, man, God, you can use me, my weakness. Well, then lastly, I wanna end with verse eight and nine. Verse eight and nine. It says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. What Paul is getting at here is he's saying, listen, the gospel message can never change no matter what. I mean, he even says, if I come back, Paul's like, if I come back to you and I start preaching something else, let me be sent to hell. That's what that word accursed means there. Let me be sent to hell instantly because this gospel message cannot change. I mean, you talk about using drastic language to get his point across. He says, not even if an angel comes. If an angel comes before you and preaches a gospel different, don't believe him for a second. Don't believe what that angel is saying because this is the gospel message, grace given through Jesus Christ. And he uses those strong words, accursed, eternal destruction in hell. Very, very, very tough language. You see, when false teachers come around, there's always ulterior motives. Always ulterior motives. Today, most of the time, it's greed or it's fame. And here's the truth. They're gonna receive their reward here. And we see it happening. There's, I came across something not too long ago. Some, some of you know what Instagram is. Some of you have no idea what that is and good for you if you don't. <clears throat> uh, there's like an Instagram out right now of pictures of pastors wearing shoes that are worth thousands of dollars. I don't know if you've seen it. And there's all these celebrity pastors walking around. I mean, $4,000 for a pair of shoes. Or they'll have a pair of sweats that I wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. And they, $900 for these sweats and different things. And there's a whole Instagram account for it just to, just to post it up there. That's their reward. That's their reward. They're storing up treasures here, not in heaven. And so they'll receive their reward and they are, but here's the problem. What Paul says to them, accursed are you. Accursed are you for leading so many people astray, for lying to them, for filling your own pockets. Oh, you'll receive glory here, but you will not ever step foot in glory. I think that's something that we have to be weary of as we teach the gospel to our family, as we try to share the gospel with friends, is being careful that we are teaching the right gospel, that we are sharing the right message, that we are letting people know that the answer to their problems, the answer to their pleas, the answer to their lostness is grace and nothing more, and nothing more. See, some people, when you say that, they say, Pastor Tim, that's a cheap, that's a cheap gospel then. Just grace and just, that's it, just pour it on them? Yes, absolutely. Just grace, that's what you need. Today, you might be sitting here and you're just wallowing in sin, like a pig in mud. You're wallowing in sin. But as I've been sharing this, about, as I've been trying to preach from God's word, you've been feeling in your heart saying, man, that, I, I don't have that. I don't have peace. I don't have hope. I don't have any joy. I'm here to tell you today that by believing in Jesus Christ and what he has done, God's grace poured out on you completely. And I believe the Bible teaches that you are saved when that happens and that you will spend eternity with him in heaven. You say, there's nothing else I have to do? Nothing else you have to do. Nothing. Now, I would encourage you to be baptized because the Bible tells us we should follow him in believer's baptism. I would encourage you then and try to walk you through scripture to see that it's gonna change the way we act. It's gonna change some of the things we do. 
because we wanna honor him and we wanna glorify him who's poured out his grace on our heart and on our life. But in terms of salvation, nothing else you can do but trust in Jesus and the grace that he has given through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. If this broadcast has affected your life today, or if you have any questions about anything that you have heard, please feel free to write us at info at mmbconline.org or like and comment on our Facebook page. This has been Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. Have a blessed day.